listening to the Crosscutting Concerns podcast. I'm your host, Matt Groves. Please visit the site at crosscuttingconcerns.com where you can subscribe, browse the archives, contact me, read show notes, and leave a comment. I'm recording this podcast on April 25th, 2017. My guest today is a software consultant and former co-worker, Michael Bowman. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? Doing great. Thanks for coming on the show with me. Now you are doing some web development now. But when we worked together last, you were writing code as a QA engineer. So what sort of tools were you using? I used uh, Visual Studio for the IDE, um, .NET for the framework, of course, and uh, F-Sharp for the language. And I also used Canopy for the library to interact with the browser. You're using F-Sharp and Canopy, Mm -hmm. uh, and you mentioned using the browser there. So Mm -hmm. maybe we'll talk about that when we get to Canopy. Uh, But let's talk about F-Sharp here. Is is that the first functional language you've ever used? Uh, No, I dabbled a little bit in JavaScript for a little while. Um, Nothing too serious. Honestly, it was uh, mostly just uh, hobby type things. Okay, please save your hate mail, everybody. JavaScript does have functional elements. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to allow that one. Uh, (laughs) Stop running those angry emails. Yep. (laughs) Save your energy. Uh, so that leads me to the next question, though. What do you? What does it mean to be a functional language? So if we want to get academic, which you know, why not? A functional language, by definition, treats computation as the evaluation of functions and avoids changing state and mutable data. In a functional language, it tries to keep all data mutable, or at least if there are, is mutable data, it doesn't try to change it. It doesn't try to affect state. And when you program, you utilize expressions uh, instead of statements. The output of a function doesn't necessarily rely on state. You should be able to take a function and run it over and over and again. And as long as you haven't changed the arguments, you should get the same output every single time. Obviously, if you change the arguments, you should receive a different output. So in a nutshell, functional language. I think the fancy term for that is idempotence, right? With the oh, same input. Oh, you used idempotence. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> it's, my, it's on my word of the day calendar. <laughs> thesaurus has popped out. You've described functional in in a way that kind of compares it to what most people, I think, code in, which is a declarative language, like like C-sharp, for instance. Now, we'll come back to F-sharp, but can you tell me more about uh, what Canopy is? So Canopy is actually a library that sits on top of Selenium. It's written in F-sharp, but it is uh, C-sharp friendly these days, actually, Uh, but it still is written uh, mostly in F-sharp. And it utilizes Selenium to interact with and manipulate the browser and or elements of a content of the page that it's rendering. Okay, so Selenium, it interacts with a browser. Any particular browser, or how does that work? Uh, so there are uh, various levels of web drivers that have uh, been created by creators of browsers. You usually have to uh, wait around for the developer folks to actually create a web driver that utilizes the internal APIs of the browser itself uh, in order to interact with it. Uh, Selenium will work with those uh, web drivers to interact with the page. There are web drivers for Internet Explorer, Edge, Firefox. The current one for Firefox and the most recent version of Selenium don't play well, So, but that's a whole other story. Chrome, and there's also one for the headless browser, PhantomJS, where you don't even have to utilize a actual UI that pops up on the screen. You can utilize headless, save some resources. These Canopy tests are using, they're controlling Selenium, which is in turn controlling the browser, except for the headless one, they're actually popping up a browser UI and automating it in, in some fashion, doing some task. I assume you're writing some assert statements to say, okay, this worked correctly or this didn't work correctly. 
That's right. And when you write uh, tests using Canopy and Selenium, do you use all the web drivers or do you use just one specific one or a combination or what's the strategy there? That's a good question. And it really depends on the use cases for the specific application or the client. If they state that they sort of have a series of browsers that that they need to support, um, maybe I would run it in each of the browsers that are supported. But in a lot of cases, I think the majority of the functional tests that I want to run are really trying to find errors in specific implementations of JavaScript or with specific issues with the browser. So I might choose Chrome and Firefox, uh, maybe one of the, uh, the Microsoft browsers, Internet Explorer, Edge. I'm really not trying to, in most cases, get a full breadth of uh, tests against every single browser. I mean, that would be nice, but in a lot of cases, web drivers interact differently with the page, and so sometimes you'll have interoperability issues where one test might work well for one web driver but might not work well for another, and it becomes sort of a mess to try to uh, get them all to uh, be backwards compatible with or be compatible with the tests. So, um, yeah, usually I'll just run it against a couple of different browsers um, and then usually call it a day. These tests seem like they might be kind of slow compared to like a, a unit test or, or any, even a test that involves a database. What would you call these kind of tests that you're writing with Canopy? Uh, these would be functional tests. So you really don't want to create this in order to test specific units of your application or even necessarily to test from an integration perspective. I mean, they do definitely do that as you're navigating around a page. You are performing a sort of integration test, but essentially what the functional tests are being utilized for is specifically to check whether the UI is interacting as it should, whether specific functions of the page are interacting as they should, and whether the uh, usability of the page is overall what you expect. You definitely don't want this to be a, a scenario where you're testing every last little function or every last little thing on the page because, uh, as you said, they, they are significantly slower uh, than unit tests. They are, they're not super slow by any means, but uh, if you're looking to uh, test very quick unit functionality, you definitely want to go with unit tests. Compared to a unit test, which I mean, generally the target is 100% coverage there. Integration tests, probably not 100%, but still pretty high. Do you have an idea what percentage of coverage you'd want to target with Canopy, or is that the wrong question to ask? That also depends. I mean, a, a general rule of thumb I like to think of is around 60 to 80% of the, of the UI, but that is uh, generally a, a nice dream uh, in a lot of cases. <laughs> um, there's a lot of uh, pieces of the code, and if we're talking about percentage of code coverage as well, that's, that's a whole other story, I think. But um, if we're talking about the, uh, the entirety of the application, I like to aim for a 60 to 80%. And once again, dream, so uh, <laughs> might not hit that, uh, hit that level all the time. Right. You always shoot for the moon. Exactly. And maybe you'll at least hit the top of the trees, right? Exactly. Huh. <laughs> what was the hardest thing about writing Canopy tests and or writing F-sharp? So originally I came from a object-oriented background. So I started writing, started doing development in C-sharp, writing all sorts of different applications. To go into F-sharp, you're able to do things in an object-oriented way, but I really didn't want to go about it that way. I wanted to make sure that I was utilizing F-sharp in the way that it was meant to be used, and that's in a functional way. And so to continue, uh, continue to try to think in a functional way where, you know, you're not trying to manipulate state, you're not trying to have um, mutable objects, you're just thinking completely in functions, you know, and you're passing outputs from function to function, that is pretty significantly different than object-oriented programming. 
and so that was sort of a, a hard hurdle to get around. Uh, I found when I first started, I was cheating my way through a little bit and, you know, trying to add in mutability to some things. And I was still util utilizing a lot of uh, .NET's functionality and really not trying to utilize F-sharp in a functional way. So I think that was my biggest thing. Honestly, Canopy is, it, it's extremely easy to get into, honestly. So uh, it wasn't actually all that difficult to, to understand and to utilize very quickly. So You think F-sharp is the more difficult tool to learn there than Canopy, coming from object-oriented? Right. I would agree. Um, and there's definitely a lot of uh, resources, which we can get into that as, uh, as we wrap up, but there's a lot of resources out there that kind of help to frame that, you know, the, a lot of folks understand that object-oriented has sort of, sort of been the, uh, the big guy in town for a long time, and so kind of changing that perspective from object-oriented into functional, they've got sort of a lot of resources into, let's change that uh, mindset over. Now, you've mentioned that Canopy is a little more C-sharp friendly these days, but it started out with an F-sharp focus, and I think yep. the focus is still on F-sharp, the main, main focus anyway. That's right. Why do you think that Canopy has an F-sharp focus. Is there any sort of benefits that come from using F-sharp for functional testing compared to C-sharp? Considering that it's a, a functional language and you're doing functional testing, I mean, even though we're talking semantics there, <laughs> it matches up well, right? That's how we interact with web pages, honestly. You know, we're acting in a functional way. We're not thinking about objects and different things like that. We're acting in a functional way. We expect that when we perform some sort of input that we receive a certain output and that the page interacts in a certain way. So really object-oriented programming is fine for doing functional testing. With functional languages, it seems to lend itself well to performing uh, functional testing. Um, I think it's sort of a, a natural approach uh, to doing this sort of work. Okay, so I know that in your current role, you're using C-sharp right now to do a lot of web development, but do you ever see yourself going back to F-sharp and or going back to writing functional tests with Canopy? Well, first off, I got to admit, I do actually like F-sharp in a lot of ways, so I'm hoping that I can continue going that route. And if I find any opportunities uh, in the dev world to utilize F-sharp, I'd really love to. I actually uh, am consulting on the side right now, and I am actually doing some test automation work for another company uh, utilizing F-sharp and Canopy right now. So <laughs> I'm actually still involved with F-sharp and Canopy at the moment. Why do you think that more projects aren't using F-sharp? It's a hard point of entry, and I think it's uh, the same thing that I was kind of talking about with, uh, with learning F-sharp and trying to wrap your head around functional programming as a whole. And a lot of folks, uh, when it comes to development, uh, we barely have enough time to really do our job well. Honestly, you know, we're going from project to project. We have deadlines to make. We have management to appease. <laughs> we have clients that need to get what they need to get. And so it's hard to make that justification to move over to another paradigm, to another language, and say, hey, can we have a, a period of time where we can learn this and we can interact with this when, you know, sort of the, the current view is, well, object-oriented programming works just fine, so let's just continue down that road. I think that's the most part. Also, in talking with other developers, there is a little bit of a, I wouldn't necessarily say a fear, but a, a bit of an anxiety of, oh, this is, a, this is sort of a new world and a, a new way of doing things. And so, you know, I don't know if I want to sort of expose myself and feel stupid <laughs> once again, because, you know, I've been doing this object-oriented thing for a while. And so to, to kind of learn this new thing um, would kind of make me feel like a, a young kid again, <laughs> starting fresh. So there's a comic strip that goes around Twitter all the time that shows a couple of guys pulling a cart that has square wheels, <laughs> and there's someone coming up and offering to put on round wheels. And I'm just paraphrasing, but 
basically the idea was, oh, we don't have time to switch those wheels. We're, yep. we're too busy. Yep. So do you think that F-sharp is the round wheel and object-oriented is a square wheel? Is that, is that, being, is that a fair characterization? <laughs> I think they both have their place in the world. I don't think either one of them is really the, uh, the gold hammer that matches every nail. But I honestly do think that F-sharp and functional programming as a whole does have a lot of uses that would be very valuable uh, to a lot of folks. Just thinking about uh, from the perspective of readability, I think F-sharp is, is very readable. It utilizes just a lot less lines of code. It has a, a lot less rigmarole around it, and there's no you know curly brace craziness or anything like that. So it's just it's smaller, it's compact, it's in fairly plain English. It utilizes a lot of things that I really love, like match statements as an example. You know, it's sort of a switch statement, but better. <laughs> you know, I, I honestly think that functional programming does have a lot of uses, but to just say, you know, C-sharp has no place in the world and we're just going to go with F-sharp, I think that's a silly statement to say. So two things. Uh, one, check out the Eric Potter episode on pattern matching for what Michael's talking about there. C-sharp has a rudimentary pattern matching that it's kind of borrowed from F-sharp, so we talk about that. Secondly, for those of you following along at home, for your vocabulary worksheets, uh, rigmarole is number two on your list, <laughs> right under idempotent. <laughs> We're pulling out all the stops. <laughs> Could you recommend some resources for people who want to get started with F-sharp and or Canopy? Specifically with F-sharp, I cannot recommend more the, uh, the site F-sharp for Fun and Profit. They're an absolutely great group. I need to, to meet these folks one day. But basically, that is the group that I was kind of talking about that said, you know, we understand the, uh, the move from object-oriented to functional programming is hard. So let's specifically attack those ideals and make sure that we're doing functional programming in the correct way and not just cheating and throwing in object-oriented programming into F-sharp. So as far as F-sharp goes, I would highly recommend that. There's also F-sharp.org that has a lot of documentation, and they're the sort of de facto go-to uh, scenario. As far as Canopy is concerned, I'm trying to remember the fellow's name. I only remember his tag name all the time. His, uh, <laughs> his, uh, his GitHub tag and his Twitter tag is left-handed goat, which is just wonderful. I think that's a great name. The GitHub.io page is at uh, lefthandedgoat.github.io. That has a lot of the documentation and screenshots and other things. There's the GitHub project page at github.com slash lefthandedgoat slash canopy. And if you also go to the same URL, except change it up a little bit at the end and go to canopy starter kit, he has a project that he has started that kind of shows a lot of the structure around a, uh, a canopy project and sort of how a real world application would look when starting out with Canopy. So I think that's a very good resource um, in that instance. And of course, as you're going through Canopy, you're gonna be learning a massive amount about F-sharp as well. So I think that's, it's also useful for learning F-sharp as well. I'll add those links to crosscuttingconcerns.com in the show notes. Is there anything else you'd like to promote before we wrap up the show? Uh, not much. Um, I could be followed on Twitter at Mick Bowman, M-C-E-B-O-W-M-A-N. And I'm also on LinkedIn. My blog can be accessed from both places. Uh, it was uh, zombified for a while, but I've recently revived it. And I plan to switch my uh, hosting environment soon, so I'm not trying to share that URL right now. You can go to Twitter or LinkedIn to uh, have a link to that blog as I change it. Mick Bowman, I'm loving it. <laughs> my guest today has been Michael Bowman. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. This has been the Cross-Cutting Concerns Podcast, produced and recorded by Matt Groves 2017. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media and leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you downloaded this podcast. For show notes, please go to crosscuttingconcerns.com. 
This episode is recorded under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. Hosting for this podcast was made possible in part by Microsoft. It was recorded and mixed with the help of Audacity, Skype, and Camtasia Recorder. The theme music is by The Dirty Truckers. You can buy the music on Amazon or iTunes. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on a future episode, please go to crosscuttingconcerns.com to submit your name and idea.